Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the official Cello Toys podcast on Grapple Arcade. I am Pablo, and with me, I am not worthy. He is author, journalist, all-round savant. He knows we've talked so much wrestling stuff. This this show's not going to be as good as the previous thirty minutes, uh, I don't think. But um, I have with me the one and only Brian Solomon. Hello, how are you doing? Hi, Pablo. I'm doing okay. Happy to be back here with you, gabbing away about wrestling, whether on air or not on air. I know it, it, we didn't plan to go that long and we just went in a million different because that's the thing when you're talking and I'm, I'm taking it in and learning so much then I, I'm bullet points come into my head and I'm just like right remember to ask him about this 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 and this and then it goes off in 10 other directions as well so um, I'm not a very disciplined interviewer, it seems. Um, but yes, uh, we want to thank you all for uh, being here for this uh, special episode. As you know, the Luna Vachon Cello Toys action figure has just been announced. I'm incredibly excited about that. She's in a WrestleMania 10 gear and it looks phenomenal. Well, the blueprints look for not phenomenal, tippy, usual top notch job. Um, and next week, there will be a spooky Halloween reveal. Now, we're not going to, we can't give any more information uh, other than that. Uh, I know who it is. If you bribe me or just tickle me, I, I may tell you. And uh, the blue giant haystacks, if you missed out on the brown Wembley variant, what were you doing? Uh, but there's a blue uh, giant haystacks, which will be available in December. So you will not miss out. And the big daddy figure. Uh, will be available in November, and that looks incredible as well. So, yes, the Luna figure, uh, Cello Toys are teaming up with FC Figure Collections for America, and uh, that's going to be released through them. Find them on Instagram, etc. And they will be released through Cello for uh, the rest of the world, basically. So, yes, more information will be posted below the show and on Instagram on the turnchuckle page and elsewhere you, you won't be able to get away from it so many people have shared it already and it looks it looks great so uh did you see the dark side of the ring episode the lunar I did. episode yeah i did see the the lunar one so did you uh, considering you know so much like did you learn stuff about luna when watching that show oh i definitely did i mean um i honestly i, I knew i had a vague idea of how tough she had had it but I didn't know the details of it, especially from her first run there. Because when I started, uh, meaning her first run in WWF, when I started in 2000, it was like months, I think, after they had let her go. Um, and I thought even at the time that she was a bad fit for what they were trying to do with women in the Attitude Era. Um, she was too good for it, you know? And, and I knew that. I knew that she was... Um, a troubled figure. And I knew also that she was kind of one of these people that you feel like came along too soon. Cause I think that if she was around now, this would be like the perfect environment for her. She'd be a major, major star. Um, but, but it actually taught me a lot. The episode, I learned a lot of, of things I didn't know about her, which doesn't always happen for me with these dark side episodes. I'm usually the one who's sitting there, you know, and, and I'm just going like wrong. No, that's <laughs> not what happened. Uh, but but this one really was a lot of new stuff for me. And a lot of unique viewpoints as well that a lot of people won't have heard from, such as a, a friend of the show, uh, Mad Maxine, uh, Lady Maxine, she's a part of it. She goes back with Luna, you know, years uh, to the Florida days and uh, remained friends with her for a very long time. And I know that her death did affect uh, Maxine 
um, a lot. And she even loved the fact that in the encyclopedia, uh, Maxine and Luna, uh, they're right next to each other. And I think she she very much enjoyed that. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing the, the Dark Side of the Ring episode. This is the one I've been looking forward to most because Luna is one of those people who hooked me in. You know, it was early 1993 it was right actually the first thing i ever saw her in was one of raw's greatest segments of all time and it's the fight with sherry uh where rob bartlett gets uh his clothes ripped off and everything i'd never seen anything like luna before and uh she did just completely hook me in at that point and wwf had seen nothing like her certainly not for a long time because if you look at the mid 80s when they'd bring in you know those kind of wild hair you know, the wild makeup with the face paint and everything. They hadn't, WWF hadn't seen that kind of demonic uh, female villain for quite a long time. Right. The, the, the women's division in the WWF really was not the greatest. I mean, you know, they were, they were still working off the old model of moolah, which was that the women were like a touring attraction and they would go from company to company and then once Vince brought it all in house and he was working with Moolah, it just felt like they could never really get something going as far as a division until when they finally did. It was in the Attitude Era when it was really kind of for all the wrong reasons. It was like, you know, it wasn't until I feel like the Trish and Lita and Victoria era that you even started getting anything looking like an interesting women's division. And that's no offense to the women that came before. I thought Alundra Blaze, Medusa, right? I mean, she was outstanding. She was one of the only women in the business at the time that I felt like could have had believable matches with men and, and nobody would blink an eye, at least in America. And But the problem was always, it was like you had the champion and the challenger, and that was the entire division. And once the challenger lost, a new challenger would come in. So it was tough to plug in somebody like Luna. But like you were saying how she made such an impact on you, and I had the same impression at the time. I feel like she's one of those interesting people where the promotion didn't know what the heck to do with her, and they really dropped the ball, and it would appear that she was a flop. However, every little kid watching those shows was – hugely impacted by her and never forgot her. She was a character that just was burned into your brain, even though they didn't quite know how to use her. And the Luna Sherry feud, which, you know, was certainly one of the more entertaining feuds of 1993. It never seemed to reach its maximum potential. Like they would be on TV one week and then you wouldn't see them for like maybe up to a month. Cause I'm guessing maybe they went around the loop on house shows and Sherry hadn't wrestled for probably what four years at that except for the sapphire matches um yeah. so it it's you know kind of a weird thing and then from what i've heard it was meant to be sherry against luna i guess in the blow off at SummerSlam, um or at least in a mixed tag or something like that but sherry faced luna on an episode of superstars which was pre-taped and it was probably about a month old by the time it aired and sherry was gone by then for you know, uh, for reasons which she's went into, uh, like personal problems, and it kind of left. Luckily, Luna had Bam Bam at that point. Um, otherwise, Luna could have gone with her because there wouldn't have been really much for Luna to do, sadly. 
at that point. No, and of course, like, what are they doing with them? They're feuding over a man, right? They're basically <laughs> feuding over Shawn Michaels. I mean, that tells you all you need to know. And also because they were in the same bucket, it, it's kind of ironic that they threw them at each other because they were both extremely talented workers in a company that didn't really have women's wrestling. And they were just like, well, you could just be a manager. And they were wasted in that role. They were great at it. They both were great at it. I mean, they both were great managers or whatever you, you know, whatever their, their roles they were given, mm. but they were just capable of doing so much more. And to just make them valets was such a waste, you know, and it, it tells you a lot. I mean, not to make it about Sherry, but like when they shut down the women's division initially at the end of the eighties, the only person they kept was Sherry because they were sort of like, well, okay, we're not really doing women's wrestling anymore, but you are so good that we're going to keep you around and we're going to find something for you to do. And it makes you sad to think about because you just think like people like Sherry and Luna, again, if they were around now, they would be perfect, especially because, you know, neither one of them was really, especially not Luna, Luna, they were not presented as in the way that like, let's say Sonny or Sable or even Trish was presented. It was just, let's see what you can do. It was about, it was about their character and what they did in the ring, which is exactly how the men are judged. You know what I mean? So, which is more, and I still think women's wrestling still has a way to go, but it's way more how women's wrestling is presented today where um, I still think there's too much emphasis put on looks even today, but it's nothing compared to the way it used to be. I mean, the, the, the women wrestlers today, I mean, you people will rightly judge you on your character, on your work in the ring. I mean, you know, there's, there's people out there like um, I, I'm going to like broach this topic without, without putting my foot in my mouth, but there, but there's women like say Bailey who would never, ever be able to have a career in the women's division anytime before the time that we're living in right now, they would just take one look at her and go like, yeah, that's nice. See you later. And, and they'd be missing out on an incredible talent. Right. So that's why I say that they came along way too early, unfortunately. They, they came along way too early for WWF, but when you look at what Luna did with Kevin Sullivan, it, it, it was perfect for its time. Um, that wasn't WWF though, right? I no. Mean, that yeah. Was place. Yeah. That is true, and and um, the, the figure that is being made, uh, the uh, re- the cello toys action figure is in her WrestleMania ten gear, which was the blow off of the the incredible uh, award winning feud with uh, Donk and Dink and uh, Bam Bam Bigelow. <laughs> I was there. I was there. I was at the Garden. That was my the first pay per view I ever attended. I was like nineteen years old. I think. Oh, I'm so jealous. Uh, that, you know what? That pop when Brett pinned Yokozuna is still one of my favorite reactions of yeah. all time. Um, and the shock when he lost to Owen at the mm. beginning of the show. I'm you can you. see people in the audience like going, "Wow, holy shit!" Like you know, lost and lost cleanly. Like people just gasped. Everyone mm. was like, "What?" Because in your mind, you're thinking. Okay, so he just lost cleanly in the opening match. So what's going to happen later on, which is exactly what they wanted you to think. You know, the way most people saw it was they were going to kill two birds with one stone. Right. On that night, they were going to blow off the Owen Hart feud and that and Brett becomes the champion. Like a lot of people kind of saw that that was the way they were going to go. 
mm-hmm. and they went a different way. So, but yeah, that was a that was a great night. I remember the the doink doink and the dinks and wink and Cy Sperling was there. Right, um, Cy Sperling, Little Richard <laughs> did the America the Beautiful, and um, oh man, they had Burt Reynolds was one of the Ronda Shear, Ronda Shear, um, uh, Jenny Garth, had, who apparently wasn't keen on being there. Um, who was that? Jenny Garth from Beverly Hills. Oh, right. Jenny yeah. Garth. Wait, wait, wait. I think, was Jenny Garth 11? No, she was 10. She was with Burt yeah. Reynolds. And um, and Rhonda Shear came out with Donnie Wahlberg from New Kids on the Block. Um, and that was at the height of 90210, and they had Jenny Garth. That was a, a big get. I remember that. And I, you know what I remember, too? This was funny, and you'll never get this unless you were there. But um, uh, at when they introduced um, Little Richard, Vince, if you remember, himself is in the ring at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And he says, Welcome to WrestleMania, right? And then he goes, like, ladies and gentlemen. And this really loud guy in my section goes, Aretha Franklin. You know, <laughs> call back to WrestleMania three. Instead That's of great. it's like a little little callback humor there. Todd told me that little Richard apparently left immediately after his performance. He did not I'm stick not- around. Um, I'm sure a lot, a lot of celebrities did that that they brought in. It was interesting though because he, he he mimes terribly on that performance, but it's still one of my favorite performances of America the Beautiful, just for the choir and everything. And uh, yeah, it's great. I think that that was a church choir they got from Stamford, if I'm not mistaken. There was a church. There's a, a Baptist church. I could be totally off on this. Mm-hmm. A Baptist church in Stamford, right down the street from Titan Tower, which had this very acclaimed choir. And I think that's how they got those guys. That's really cool. So the um, yeah. Oh, so this the the Bam Bam uh, Luna Dink and Doink feud. Now, when that feud first started, Matt Bourne was still there as Doink for like a couple of weeks, and this was before Dink got introduced. And I, uh, you know, still now I have a Doink shrine over there, like a Matt Bourne Doink shrine, because it's my favorite gimmick of all time by a mile. And um, that feud could have died a death. Now in WWF land in '93, '94, it's I think people forget how featured that feud was on TV and how long it went on for as well. And obviously will have spread across the house shows and stuff like that. So, you know, it, it deserved its spot on WrestleMania 10 and it had intrigue to it. And it was the sort of light comic relief. Um, and, it, and it showed a different side of Luna as well when she would get like embarrassed when she'd get the water thrown on her or all that kind of thing. And uh, the, the outfit, which is made for the figure, was made specifically for that night. So there's lots of, photographs which i'm sure you've come across of luna wearing that gear which have been used for trading cards and i would bet that they were taking backstage at wrestlemania 10 um so there's lots of reference pictures uh for this figure so the the, i'm I'm shilling the figure now but like the detail on the action figures like tremendous and what i love about it is because there are other luna action figures out there uh, but this one, what I like about it is there are literally two sides to her face. If you just look at one side, she's kind of sweet and angelic. Um, and then the other side, you get the whole, it's like the two-face thing, that I'm, you know, which I'm sure was maybe a slight influence uh, sure. to, towards Luna as well. So, yeah, very, very excited about it. And But the thing is, that feud could have died a death with nothing against Ray Apollo, but, uh, you know, he's not Matt Bourne for pulling off the Doink character. Um, yeah, that was, I mean, I'm not saying anything that is is a controversial opinion here, but that was definitely the jumping of the shark for Doink. That was when that happened. I remember even at the time, you know, and I wasn't an insider, I was just a fan, I was a teenager. And I, I was like, 
you knew right away. You're like, who is this guy? Like, what are they doing? Not only that, but like, I did know who Matt, I did know who Matt Bourne was. And I knew that he was playing doing and Matt Bourne, great wrestler, incredible worker, like really good in the ring. And he really sold doink being the sadistic clown Ray Apollo. That was his name, right? Ray Apollo. Yeah. Ray. Cause I keep, I get mixed up with Phil quite a lot, Phil Apollo, but, right. but it's Ray. And yeah. Just an average, nothing really special in his work. And then, they changed the music and they just made it the most obvious clown music ever instead of like the terrifying music that Bourne had. Yeah, that was very unfortunate how that <laughs> happened. Um, so Luna from that point, I mean, she's done that and we kind of want to jump around a little because there's so much and, you know, the dark side covered a lot of stuff as well. But uh, after that, she kind of she sold Bam Bam Bigelow's contract to the Million Dollar Corporation. And then she managed, she actually managed Bull Nakano for that incredible match at SummerSlam uh, against, uh, against Medusa, probably the best women's match from that era. Uh, and, and it just shows again, though, they had that one match and then nothing on TV until uh, Nakano beat her at the Tokyo Dome, which again, wasn't aired. And I wish the network would, maybe put that match on there, but Luna kind of disappeared at that point. And then I believe she went straight to ECW and had a mini feud with Stevie Richards uh, before going to WCW. Do you remember much from that uh, feud or from that time? Uh, I do. And I, I remember that, um, and this is also mentioned in the dark side special that Medusa or Alundra, I should say, and Luna, they had a, a special relationship because um, Alundra recognized that, Luna was a great worker and deserved better than she was getting. And there's even a story in the special that Alundra Blaze wanted to go off script. They were apparently on a European tour where she figured no one's watching. We can get away with this. And um, no offense to the Europeans, but she was going to, she was going to lay down for Luna in an unscripted finish and have her win the title, knowing they would probably fire her for it. And she was like, screw it. I don't care if they fire me, they fire me. I'll be fine. Like you deserve this Luna. Mm -hmm. And Luna was like, I, I can't do that to you. Like, I can't, if they fire you, like I'll be carrying that guilt. Like I can't allow that to happen. Thank you. But no. And apparently when they had the match, Melundra blaze is trying to have Luna pin her. She's <laughs> laying down and almost holding her on top of her. And Luna keeps pulling her up and pulling her up. And she won't allow like a heel would pull up the face. Right. And she's not allowing the finish to happen, but like she really believed in her. It's pretty incredible to watch, which is why, and it may have been part of the reason why she got pulled into the Nakano and Alundra Blaze um, feud. Mm. But also it seemed like, I'm sure the, you know, ideally everybody wants to work in the WWF, but ECW at that time almost seemed like a much more fitting place for her. There was a lot of the way that they promoted and their product in a lot of ways that more closely resembled championship wrestling from Florida, which is where she first got put on the map mm. where it's like blood and violence and Satanism and just this edgy insanity that you couldn't get away with in the WWF. I mean, yeah, Luna was always a crazy character, but it's night and day to think about where she's first with Kevin Sullivan and she's getting like indoctrinated into a satanic cult. Her head is shaved. People are bleeding everywhere, sacrifices. And now she's running around with, with, with 
clown, you know, little people clowns in Madison Square Garden, you know, that's a huge shift. So it was like ECW was almost like a return to, I think, maybe something that she was a little more comfortable with. I agree. And, you know, during that time as well, Luna was, I'm assuming Dark Side talks about this, but she was the first uh, playable lady character on a wrestling game, on the Raw game. And that is huge. And she's actually in that Mania 10 gear as well. So it's quite iconic um, for her, that look. And uh, yeah, it's almost forgotten some of the things that she was a part of, which were like firsts or just big things. Like she made a debut in WWF at WrestleMania during a title match. Like it doesn't get much bigger than that. And uh, I always thought it was a crime, especially during the Attitude Era, that she did not win the women's title uh, when she had various uh, matches. She had a hardcore match against, I believe, Ivory at Unforgiven 99. And um, it's just one of those forgotten brawls, but it's it's really good. And they're just perfectly matched for each other. And, you know, there's no way that Luna shouldn't have beat Sable <laughs> several times. Um, <laughs> the and, and that's the other thing as well. People forget how much of a draw the Luna Sable feud was going into WrestleMania 14. I mean, that would close out Raw's, just them having a, a you know, a brawl. And the crowd would be, you know, wild for it. And right. that that was a heavily featured, and and I'm assuming Dark Side because I remember Luna talking about this in a in a WWF magazine a long time ago that everyone congratulated Sable and only Owen Hart was the the only person who would come up to Luna and recognized her for her hard work and every picture from that match which is shown on trading cards on magazine covers is always Sable with Luna up for the TKO yeah. Uh, which and and there was a story that uh, Luna said on a shoot interview because they, they she had a previous action figure one of the better action figures of the time because it had real hair and they made all new parts for her and everything it was prime artist formerly known as Goldust era Luna and it came in a double pack of Sable and Sable was really jealous that Luna's figure looks so much better than uh, than Sable's which I'm you know yeah that that's unfortunate they do talk about that whole deal and how. You know, even Vince, you know, wouldn't acknowledge Luna. And he, he apparently like the, they came out there and they had like a big like bouquet of flowers to give her like she was like an opera diva coming off the stage. <laughs> and Luna was like, you know, chopped liver uh, because, look, in that role, she was basically just seen as the carpenter. She was like mm-hmm. just there to make Sable look good. And that's all it was. Sable was the golden goose. Um, I think even if Luna was told that if she banged up sable like bruised her up cut her anything she'd be gone they yeah. fire her. and you know people forget like you said people forget how hot the sable luna feud was i think if you weren't around then too you don't fully appreciate how huge sable was i mean it was incredible like and she was like a vince russo special project you know like getting her over but she was pulling the highest rated segments on raw like crazy high segments like take the the combined viewership of aew dynamite (laughs) and monday night raw combine it and like quadruple it and that was the rating of like a sable segment that was really hot so like they were just they didn't want to do anything to mess that up and luna kind of kind of got like caught in the crossfire of that a little bit you know because sable look i mean yeah 
Not obviously it was all about her appearance. She was not like some incredible in-ring worker. And on top of that, unfortunately, she also was reputed to have not the greatest attitude at all and hard to work with. It was just like a perfect storm of awfulness. And Luna, (laughs) it would be one thing. It would be one thing if she had the humility and the modesty to be like, I don't belong in this spot. I'm sorry. You know, I know that I suck and whatever. And Vince is pushing me and uh, Luna, I respect you and please help me out. Like, you know, and all this, but it wasn't like that at all. Not at all. That's why I totally got into Tori Wilson's hall of fame speech. Cause she was like, look, I do not belong in the hall of fame, <laughs> you know, but the fact that I'm <laughs> in here, right? <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it, it was just, it made me more, uh, in my head more accepting of it that, uh, that she's in and luna's only in the legacy wing which i think is one her and alfred hayes is like the two biggest i don't primes. get either one of those yeah i don't get it you know if i could just a, a quick tangent because oh, the, legacy, the legacy wing i understand it as being inducting people from very early wrestling history who maybe never worked for the wwf like it's a good way to get in like luthez and jim londis and frank gotch and people like that but If you have people that actually worked for your company and made an impact and fans know who they are, why in the world are you putting them in the legacy wing? Like, I didn't even understand why they did that to Stan Stasiak. I mean, I know it was a long time ago, but Mm. Stan Stasiak was the WWF champion. And it makes it very cynical because it becomes clear that the other function of the legacy wing, it's for people that either don't want a legends contract or they have no interest in offering a legends contract too. So when they put you in the legacy wing, it's like, basically they just say your name on TV and they show a picture of you and it goes away. There's no, like they don't, there's no money that exchanges hands. There's no contract. There's no like people that go in the hall of fame, you get a legend deal, you get money, you get a ring, you get a contract, you get like merchandising cuts and things like that. Legacy wing, you get nothing. Cause that's what happened with bruiser Brody too. Now Brody even though Brody's main career, even though he was in the WWF, was outside the WWF, mm-hmm. um, they still wanted him to go in as a full inductee just because his name is so well-known. And his widow refused it. She wanted no part of them. And they were just like, all right, we'll just put him in the legacy wing without anybody's permission. And they just did it anyway where they don't have to cut a deal with anybody. So I feel like that's what happened with Alfred Hayes. That's what happened with Luna. Should have never happened where they were just like, ah, screw these people. We're not talking. We're not making a deal with them, but we still want to use their name. Do you think it's because Alfred left under the circumstances that he did uh, with the pay cut and everything? Do you think there was bad blood for a while? Like, yeah, but so did I mean, didn't Bobby Heenan leave in a similar fashion? True. And you know, I think, and honestly, like from my time working there, and again, I can't speak to like how Vince feels about everything, but Lord Alfred Hayes was a revered figure for people that because he had an office job, he had a desk there, he worked at the TV studio, he wasn't just on air talent. And people that were still there in the early 2000s that remembered him. They loved him. He he was beloved. So I would find it hard to believe that there was bad blood enough that they would do something like that. I really don't know why. I think the Lord Alfred Hayes one is the most baffling legacy induction of all to me. I mean, I, I think, well, it doesn't help that he's not alive. I think that's part of it, too. They they don't like to have too many inductees that are dead. Um, like they'll throw in one here and there and there, but they don't like to have too many, which is a shame because it's a damn hall of fame. So by <laughs> definition, a lot of the people are from a long time ago, but and, and they fought enough to put in mad dog 
um, you know, as an actual induction. And I loved the speech and everything. Patterson had to help him through it a little, but it was fine. And, you know, but Butch is not in there, is he? Even in the legacy wing. No, he's not. And you got to remember, too, um, you know, they had an incredible tag team. They're definitely a Hall of Fame tag team, Butcher mm-hmm. and Mad Dog. But Mad Dog was a much bigger single star than Butcher was, especially in a WWF-centric view of things. Because, like, they brought in Mad Dog Vashon for, like, a nice little run or two. And Butcher was always used in the WWF, at least, as basically glorified enhancement, which was not – he deserved better than that. But I think that might be the reason for that. I mean, if it was up to me, I would have inducted them together. But You got a wedding? I'm sure you know this, but uh, and before we get back on Luna, uh, the the reception for that wedding, there's a table with Blassie and Albano sat at that table, but there's an empty chair for where Wizard would have sat, which I thought was like quite a nice, uh, quite a nice touch. That, that I did not know. That's incredible. That the Vashon wedding <laughs> is my sentimental favorite WWF segment non-wrestling segment of all time uh-huh. i watch it way more than is healthy and every time i watch <laughs> it i find little things I, I it's so just real like you feel like i think this is real i think they're just having a party you know like they're just <laughs> hanging out and doing ridiculous carny wrestling things i love albano the, the band is playing an old song called because of you which was a tony bennett hit Mm -hmm. in the 50s who would know this watching it albano gets up goes over there and he's drunk as a skunk Mm because they're drinking real booze grabs the mic starts singing because of you the tony bennett song i mean blassie's applauding how it's the greatest thing i love when blassie tries to kiss vashon's wife lifts up her veil and he just goes you're all right baby it's just so many great moments in that thing did you ever I notice on the so much did you ever notice on the cover of the wrestling album uh where they're all stood in the studio uh, blassie's checking out elizabeth's ass of course that's he the is. most noticeable thing on the cover <laughs> yeah, so, yeah it is and uh yeah, go on. I'm oh, sorry. We could so, we could do a whole show about the Vashon wedding. I am oh, down for that. More than happy to. And um, one thing that I love about because Luna's '97 to '99 run, there's so much interesting stuff in there because she she came back with the artist formerly known as Goldust, and I love I because I love really weird shit like that, and that was just about as weird as it gets. Uh, when she had them on the leash in the green bodysuit and you see families getting up and walking out and uh the first thing i saw was the in your house where she come out and he's on the leash and he's wearing some pink thing with a fong and he reads uh cat in the hat and uh, luna just pushes him down and then drags him off and everything yeah <laughs> but the thing is what i liked about that is when Goldus had to dress as different characters, it actually brought out a lot of different sides of luna's personality as well because she was like a dude love babe one time and uh she dressed up as all different kinds i mean the, the one that's been cut off the network is where goldust blacks up and uh comes out to f- uh, wrestle flash funk that's not on the network anymore <laughs> um you know probably right. probably yes, right 
there was a huge poster in the Raw magazine though of Goldust in that gimmick with the boombox and Luna behind him and stuff like that. You couldn't do posters like that anymore, I don't think. But uh... no, no. But Raw magazine was also pretty crazy back then. It the was. ironic thing about that late '90s run with Luna, it was it was such a dichotomy because here's the thing: a lot of it, content-wise, the direction they were going in the Attitude Era would seem to be tailor-made for her where she could start getting crazier and being more true to what she wanted to do and doing edgy wild things but unfortunately what came along with what they were doing was women being viewed strictly as tna strictly as cheesecake and so it sort of there was a glass ceiling to it it was almost like they were saying yeah, 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 yeah. At the end of the day, though, all this crazy edgy stuff, it's really for the guys. And we're going to try to shoehorn you into like bikini contests and all this crap. And, um, you know, and we're going to have you putting over like our blonde bombshell. So it was like on the one side, it seemed like, oh, wow, she's really going to get to come into her own now. And that gold dust stuff was like a little taste of it. But in the end, it just it, all the other stuff was just it just wait, outweighed it. That is true. One of my favorite, because they always seem to find something for Luna to do. Now, whether she enjoyed doing it or not was another thing. But that first Oddities uh, vignette where that Jackal's there with the Howard Stern, with Crackhead Bob and Hank the Angry Drunken Dwarf and Princess Luna comes out. I, a lot of the, I mean, it had, it's aged horribly, but I love how car crash that is. It is like one of the worst, but also one of the best things. Like I would get, if, if I told like Brian Last or Jim Cornette that, I'd probably get shot. But, um, and I feel like I'm already getting judged telling you this as a historian, but um, it was just, that was crazy. And I think that sort of, you know, uh, traveling sideshow evil oddities, it's got a very short shelf life, but I don't think they did nearly enough of it. And then Luna all of a sudden, they turned face because Sable showed them how to have fun. And uh, that's when Kogan came out in the tuxedo and started singing New York, New York or something like that. And, uh, you know, but Luna, right. but the thing is that when those oddities were over with the insane clown posse and bringing the Cartman doll to the ring and everything, they were one of the things that really got the crowd, you know, up and pumped. It wasn't like an Austin pop, but it was its own unique thing. And yeah. you know, later on, they'd bring in George the Animal Steel for a little bit. And uh, do you remember how Luna turned heel again on Sable, though? How she actually turned heel? No, I don't think I do. One of the things that I've always wanted, I mean, you probably couldn't do it now, but uh, she dressed up as Spider Lady. And uh yeah. <laughs> How am I not remembering this? Am I Did I miss this? It was on a Raw and uh, Sable first title defense against Spider Lady, and uh, she took the mask off, and it was it was Luna underneath, and then that led to the strap match at the Rumble where Luna came out with Shane McMahon, which was like a really odd, uh, really odd pairing. But because uh, I always wanted, right? Okay, fantasy booking time. This is before Mula was just completely disgraced. Mania twenty five. Do you know when they did that Divas Battle Royal? And uh, Kid uh, Rock played them to the ring and it took forever and it's been cut out yeah. the DVD and everything. And half the women don't get it. Molly Holly's there, Sonny's there. Like these names from the past that just don't get acknowledged. So what I wanted to happen was, and again, this would never have happened. Instead of the whole Santino thing, I would have had whoever was last in the ring and then have Mae Young get in the ring and eliminate that person. And then you think Mae Young's won. And then I would have 
Spider Lady come out from behind and hit Mae Young in the back with a chair or something like that, and then eliminate Mae Young. Spider Lady takes off the mask, and it's Wendy Richter. Oh, <laughs> oh could you imagine? But no, apparently not. Richter got inducted in the Hall of Fame the next year as well. I think they should have done something with that. But uh, that's my fantasy booking, and this is why I don't have a job with uh, WWE creative. So um, I mean, that, that would pop me. I don't know how many other people, but definitely me. So. It's a little too niche, I think. Yeah, um, maybe a little, maybe just a little. Yeah. So and the one one regret is I never got to see Luna perform uh, live. Uh, she toured the UK, and this was. Oh. God, I mean, it was right before she unfortunately passed away because Gangrel was on the tour and um, P- uh, PCO was on the tour, one of the scariest wrestlers I've ever met because he, 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 I asked for his autograph. He didn't even look at the paper. He just stared at me like that, you know, Talk in the eyes. Reinventing his... yourself, right? Mm-hmm. Talk about reinventing yourself. That guy, I yeah, mean, that's amazing. Just amazing how to, you know, he's no longer the greatest pirate in history, as he used to call himself. <laughs> One of the most bizarre WWF feuds of all time with Bret Hart. Yeah. Well, Luna, she was meant to be on the tour and she wasn't and never got a chance to see her, which was... And the thing is, her her previous action figure, which came out, oh, I want to say 2007, 2008, it came out as she passed away. So, I mean, if you've got a signed Luna Vachon figure from that line, you've got something special. I mean, I've got a WCW 8x10 signed by Luna, which I was able, which I was given by someone. Um, the interesting thing is, I think Luna Vachon might have been one of the first, if not the first wrestler that I ever saw out of character, like in person, out of character. And it was, I was, it was after she had uh, been initially fired by the WWF in the mid nineties after her first run there. Mm. And um, she went back to kind of working with David Heath, who was not yet Gangrel. He was still vampire warrior working with him and doing Indies. And at that time, this was like 94, 95. I was covering local Indies for my neighborhood newspaper in Brooklyn, which was literally my first gig, not even getting paid, just taking my own pictures timing the matches with a stopwatch like doing all this crazy stuff and i showed up they were having a card at um a catering hall in brooklyn uh, called la mer and i think it was a it might have been a tommy d show i'm thinking and it was this i think it was an outdoor show like in the parking lot of a catering hall if i remember right and i got there really early and the place wasn't even opened yet i don't think and i saw Standing by the back door, just waiting to be let in, it was Luna Vachon and David Heath, the Vampire Warrior. And I didn't even really fully realize it was them at first because Vampire Warrior I'd only seen in magazines. I knew who he was but from magazines and things. Luna, you know, she had no makeup on. You know, her hair was tied up. She was just wearing, like, bummy clothes. And then she started talking. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. It's a... <laughs> Because it wasn't like as much as like rah, rah, like when she was on TV, but she still had this gravelly, deep voice. And I'm going like, oh, my God, it's Luna Vachon. And, you know, they're just like they're like smoking and they're just like laughing and, you know, like talking and hanging out. And it was and I'm like 19. And it's my first time going like wrestlers are real people. Wow. <laughs> and I always remember that it was that she was like one of the first experiences I ever had like that. That's really cool. And and Luna and Gangrel would eventually team up in WWF right before Luna 
left in 2000 and Luna would wear the matching shirt and everything. And it would have just made sense for that to be a long lasting uh, partnership. But, um, you know, sadly Luna uh, wasn't around in WWF too much longer after that. But uh, yeah, I, I love Luna. I'm so glad that this figure's been made. Um, and, and and the thing is, unlike the legacy wing of the, the Hall of Fame, when there is a, you know, it, it's sad that it takes a dark side of the ring episode for this to happen, but it does shine a light on names who WWE don't go near. And then you get to see merchandise come out of these people. So there's Luna Vachon t-shirts out there now. Uh, you know, this figure is happening. I mean, that was besides dark side. This is, you know, completely independently. It's just the timings worked out you know, quite nicely for that. Um, and yeah, give me more Luna Vachon uh, merchandise. I'm uh, quite happy about that. Um, so yeah, look, Brian, uh, and, and the thing is, we could talk much more about Luna, but uh, so yeah, the I don't Luna... think Ray Apollo is doing anything these days. <laughs> Him yeah. and Dink still do the uh, the conventions in, in Tiger character. Jackson. Talk another reinvention. He was Tiger Jackson. Mm-hmm. Great, and great, I want great, I want to interview more French Canadian wrestlers as well because I think their backgrounds are so fascinating. And after interviewing uh, Bertrand Ebert. Uh, you know, and he did the Mad Dog Midgets and Screwjobs book as well. Um, you know, there's just such a fascinating history there that, yes, you know, that needs to be dug into more. And and I'm probably not the person to do it, but I will learn a lot if I start chatting. You know, to... I got sucked into this huge debate on Twitter, which I didn't intend to start, where I was like, I posted this thing about the most iconic wrestling venues of all time. You know, what would you call them? And I listed, uh, so, you know, in Canada, you have the, the big Toronto promotion and there was the big Montreal promotion. They were like the two biggest promotions in Canada. Hmm. And I, so I included Maple Leaf Gardens, Toronto. I did not include the Montreal Forum. And all of a sudden I had Pat LaPrade, who was Bertrand E. Bear's co-author, get into this whole thing very politely, you know. I politely say that, you know, Montreal was a little bit of a bigger territory than Toronto and... And, um, you know, the, the forum was a little bit of a bigger deal. And then you had people descending, <laughs> being like, no, Toronto was a much bigger territory. Maple Leaf wrestling was bigger. No, you know, it was all about Montreal and Quebec and all that. And, you know, and it was just this whole Canadian civil war of wrestling going on of what was a what was the bigger promotion, Montreal or Toronto. I, I love that they still take it that serious. That's the most real thing about wrestling now, just fine. <laughs> uh fan opinions on who had the biggest promotion so yeah, yeah they were bringing out facts and figures and <laughs> records all these crazy and i'm just sitting back and just i'm learning from this okay <laughs> oh amazing so uh yeah the luna vachon uh figure through fc figure collections find them on instagram uh they'll be they'll be posting all about it shella toys will be posting all about it as well as uh next week's uh spooky announcement Ooh. Uh, that that's about as spooky as I'm prepared to get until until actual Halloween. Um, <laughs> so Brian, I want to thank you for uh, being a part of this. Now, inside the Ropes magazine, uh, the new issue is out. What did you uh, contribute to this month's issue? So I've got the Owen Hart feature, and I also have another one which I pitched, which is the 20th anniversary of the WWF Invasion story. <laughs> and, how they, and how they completely botched it. Yeah. And I'm writing it from an inside perspective. I was working there when it was going on and, and going like, what is happening? We are blowing this. And I, I wrote the article from that point of view of like the angle everybody wanted to see turning into 
the worst disaster ever. And so I did that retrospective. Uh, I'm pretty proud of it. They're two very long feature articles. One thing I love about Inside the Ropes is they really let, let me write. I mean, the word counts are higher than most magazines I've written for in terms of like per page. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of cool stuff in there. People should check it out. There's a yeah, definite quality there with the Inside the Ropes magazine. And I love the uh, the graphics that we used for the, the title of the article as well. You took everything from every logo Yes. Uh, and put it all together and it looks it, it looks like yes, um it. looks like a ransom note and, and that reminds <laughs> me of a wwf magazine where uh there was a ransom note it was like four pages long and you found out it was written by luna i can't remember when if this was actually or not but it, i think it might have been because it was written for vince how luna was in love with vince mcmahon and it was written as an entire ransom note. Like no one would remember this now. But I remember there was a Raw magazine as well with all the divas on the front and it was like fold out uh, thing. And Nicole Bass is on there, you know, Deborah, Sable, Terry, Jacqueline, and Luna's there with, I don't know if she did it just to, you know, as we say in the UK to take the piss, but she's kind of in like a see-through little skirt and she's got a bra on. And it's she's not as overtly sexual or trying to be as overtly sexual as the other ladies on the cover but she's got a magic wand with a star on it as well it's like really weird (laughs) i remember that yeah there's a little thing in the dark side thing where she talks about or they talk about how they were trying to kind of sex her up a little more in the attitude era and she was reluctant for a number of reasons but one of the reasons was she was like you know i've done that before in my career but since i've been here You've always, all you've ever done is de-emphasize that and made me into this monster and removed all sexuality from my character. And now all of a sudden, now I'm, I'm supposed to be this like sex pot, like, you know, make <laughs> up your mind. Am I a monster or am I, what am I, you know? Yeah, it's a, it's a very odd, unlike Luna picture that I think I've ever yeah. seen. But I, uh... I, I know the picture you're talking about. Yes. <laughs> She's probably having a little bit of fun with that. Yeah, I think so. I think so. So yes, uh, Brian, um, want to thank you again for this episode of the official cello toys podcast on grapple arcade and we will be back next week with a huge announcement i'm looking forward to telling you all about that but once again the lunar figure will be available through fc figure collections in america cello toys everywhere else find all the Instagram pages, you'll you'll find it. Type in Luna Cello Toys. I'm not good at like advertising everything because there's so many links to talk about now, but uh, you know the links by now. So yes, thank you again, and we will see you all next time. 